Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. And we also, how do we do that? Well, we help you transition into freelance grant writing and then grow a grant writing business so you can secure five to six figure contracts while working part time. All right, so to shed some light on some of that today, we have Andy Robinson. And Andy is awesome. And I loved having him on today on the podcast because he's really gonna talk about how to start out as a nonprofit consultant. And I love this conversation. He brings so many gems to the table and he was a speaker last year in 2022 at the Nonprofit Consulting Conference. And I loved having him there. He gave such an amazing session. So I said, hey, can you come on the podcast this year and really talk about some of the gems from that session? Because it was amazing. We got so much great feedback. And he was a trooper and was like, absolutely. <laughs> so he, he is on the podcast today. And he's going to talk about a lot of things about how to start that nonprofit consultancy, things along the way. And it is really great. And he's also giving some free bonuses some downloadables, some really great resources if you're thinking about starting a nonprofit consultancy. So you'll definitely want to jump into the show notes today at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 284. So Andy Robinson provides training and consulting for nonprofits, businesses, and government agencies. He has more than 27 years of experience and he's worked in 47 United States and across Canada. Since the pandemic, he's also designed and facilitated nearly 150 online meetings, webinars, and remote workshops. Really great, he's got some best-selling books as well, and you can definitely find him at trainyourboard.com. But do go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 284 for all of the, the freebies that he's going to be dishing out from today. We'll be talking about the nonprofit consulting conference a little bit today too, so be sure to check it out. Just a big shout out to our title sponsor, Founded Technologies. And if you're really interested in growing your grant writing business, do check out our resources. Our mentorship program will be opening in October. We have some great things coming up. We have a wait list open. So do make sure you go over to our website and find the wait list to get on the mentorship because you will not want to miss it while the doors are open. So you can get those five to six figure contracts while working part time. All right, so let's get into today's episode with Andy Robinson. Here's Andy. Thank you for having me, Holly. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Super excited for you to be here. And just like as a little teaser, I pointed out that, yes, Andy and I know each other. You were a part of the Nonprofit Consulting Conference in 2022. You gave an amazing session, one of the top rated sessions that we had in 2022. And people loved it. It was all about like how to become a nonprofit consultant. And I, it was, you know, just like the basics of it. So I said, hey, can you come on the podcast? Because people love that session. They're still talking about it today. And I really want to be able to give some of that, some of the goods that you were talking about as well and kind of dive into it a, a little sideways and a little different for those of you who are thinking about either becoming or growing your nonprofit consultancy. So thank you. for your You're welcome. So it's a quiz question. What do you remember from the session I did last year? Oh, 
I like it. I liked how you talked about, well, you were talking about some of your frameworks of your books. I remember we were giving that away. So that was awesome when you're talking about that. But you also talked about the simplicity, like you kept it very simple. So it wasn't necessarily what you said, it was how you said it. And I think <laughs> just being able to say, this is a way that you can open a consultancy, right? This is a way that you can start. It doesn't, I remember you were saying something like, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple like this, right? So yes. I love yes. that approach. Yeah. Well, if I don't have this on my website, but if I were going to be branded, I would call myself the no BS consultant because that's how I go. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be complicated. No, it doesn't. So I'm glad you're like, yeah, you hit that spot on. <laughs> yeah. I'm pleased. All right. So we're going to talk about that. And I love that. So we also have the nonprofit consulting conference coming up in 2023 on August 23rd and 24th. So super excited about that again. So, but we're going to be looking at what your experience has been. And you've been working with nonprofits for almost 30 years. You've been doing a lot of work. You have books out there on um, some of the books, train your board and everyone else to raise money. I love that. What every board member needs to do, to, to know, do and avoid. So I love that as well, that you've really tapped into looking at also board development, board training, right? And because that's really where a lot of this shifts, right? Every decision in a nonprofit comes from that board. And that, would, I would say, has that been your main kind of consultancy services have been on board training? and nonprofit Yeah, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. So I, I am sort of the Swiss army knife of nonprofit consultants. I have done fundraising. I have done planning. I work with a lot of boards. I've done mm -hmm. marketing. Um, I have helped with mergers. Lately, I'm doing train the trainer and train the consultant and train the facility. So I'm very much a generalist. And I think part of the conversation we'll have today, I hope, is, you know, you have the choice. You can be a specialist. You do grants. That's your thing. And it's a viable business. You can, you can work as a specialist. I know a number of people who do nothing but capital campaigns, yep. and they make a good living doing that. And that's one strategy. Mm -hmm. But an alternate choice is to do a variety of things. Yep. And one of the advantages of that is once you know a client and they know you and you like them and they like you, there's a lot of different ways that they can hire you for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And so it expands the amount of work you can do with different types of clients. If you choose to be a specialist, that's great. I respect that. It's an option. But mm -hmm. I'm one of my missions in, in the world is to try and create more generalists who can enter an organization and then look at the different needs and figure out which tools they can use with that particular client. I love that. I, you know, and, and that's such a great note. That's kind of like where I started was, even though I did grant writing, I really opened it up to be more of a generalist. So I started doing nonprofit strategic planning, board yep. development, yep. board training, fundraising, yep. like they came to me and said they wanted, you know, this made sense for that. I was like, I, I'm going to learn how to do that. <laughs> You know how to do it? Like, I'm going to figure that out. And, yeah. you know, and then I would do it. And it was like, do I want to keep doing it? And what that gave me the option to think about was, did I like doing that? Did Was it efficient for me? Do I want to keep doing that? Is that something yep. I should actually add to my, like my services I advertise? Right. You know, so it was, it was good for me to really, because I like trying new things and that's not for everyone, like you're saying, but it gave me the opportunity to have options. Right. So that's 
that's a pretty cool thing. So I love that you're coming at it from this generalist perspective. And is that what really kind of got you into nonprofit consultancy was just kind of how no, I solved problems or? Yeah. Shall I tell you the origin story? Yes. Tell <laughs> your origin story. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I got bit by a spider and I became Spider-Man. Um, I had 15 years um, working at nonprofits as a staff jobs. So five mm-hmm. different organizations, 15 years, um, primarily fundraising, but not exclusively fundraising. And mm-hmm. after 13 years, 14 years, I thought, you know, I know enough about this that I could probably train and support others and have my own business. This is the interesting part of the story. I went to my boss one day and I said, I'm giving you two years notice. And he's <laughs> like, what? what are you talking about? And I said, well, I, I aspire to have my own consulting business, but I'm going to do it gradually. And mm-hmm. the way I propose to do it is year one, I'm going to work here four days a week instead of five days a week because I can do my job in four days a week, I think. And mm-hmm. the other three days, I'm going to start building my business. Mm-hmm. And in year two, we are going to hire the person who's going to replace me and I'm going to go to halftime and we're going to put this person on and I'll have a whole year to train our next development director. And then when I jump in two years, you will have a fully trained up development director and I'll have two years of building my business to the point where it's probably going to be strong enough to support me. Mm -hmm. And he said, to his credit, good for you, go for it. Mm -hmm. So I think some of us think like, if I'm going to start a business, you turn a switch and one day you're working for somebody else and the next day you're working for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's not usually how it works. Mm -hmm. you got to build the thing gradually. So, you know, I mean, we talk about succession planning, which is another Mm -hmm. thing I do consulting on. I, I created my own succession plan. I didn't have the language for it. This was 20, 29, 30 years ago. But that's basically what I did. I said, I'm going to build this business and here is the on-ramp for how I'm going to get it to the place where it can support me. And at the same time, I left my employer in good shape because they had a person to replace me who was trained and had a whole year of experience. Who's ever listening, watching, you don't have to do it that way. That's not a requirement. But I think the message here is it's okay to build it gradually while you Mm -hmm. keep your day job. And you know, I don't know how it worked for you, Holly, but what often happens is when when you go out on your own, you're first client or your first clients are organizations that you used to work for, right? right. And they want to keep you around. So you work out a deal as a contractor to work there a day a week or whatever. You know, and what what I'll say to folks who are new is if you can find an anchor client who can Mm -hmm. cover 40 or 50% of what you need in terms of income, you can piece the other 50 to 60% together from other jobs. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, this sort of gets us into a conversation about what your business model is, because Mm -hmm. there are people, I don't know many of them, but there are people who have three or four clients Mm -hmm. and they're thoroughly embedded in those organizations and it's relationships that last over years and they're on retainers and that's their whole situation. I have never had that. Um, And I'm not sure I want it. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I was going full bore in an average year, I might work with 50 different organizations. Wow. And it was a lot lot of little jobs. It was, I'm going to do a board training and it's going to be a day and they're going to pay me $1,500 or $2,000 or whatever. And that's the whole gig. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to go to another community and I'm going to do a public training and a couple of private events. And I'm going to work with a client on a strategic plan and I'm on the road for the week and I'm working with four different organizations. And then I go home again, you have to find your own business model. You can do it by the project. 
I'm looking at mm -hmm. slides here. Um, you can do it by the hour. Mm -hmm. You can do it as contract staff. Mm -hmm. And there are legal limits to that. So you want to make sure you're legally kosher and doing that correctly. As, as noted, some people are on retainer where they just get paid a certain amount of month every month, regardless of how much the work they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and then everyone's fantasy is passive income, which is you set up some products that allegedly sell themselves. And I'm not convinced that that's a, There's always not Well, you know, the word passive is a lie, right? You can have yeah, to continue promoting those things. Yeah. And you have yeah. to continue refreshing those things. Yeah. So it's it's real work. It's not sit around and get rich. It's actual work, but there are some passive income streams that have worked well for some people I know. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think smart consultants are looking at what's my business model and what are the pieces that are going to work for me based right. on my skills, based on my lifestyle, based on how much money I need to earn. Mm -hmm. um, based on how much time I want to work, yeah. based on whether I'm willing to travel or I want to stay home. And, you know, I mean, you live in a place that's a little hard to get to. So I don't mm -hmm. know how much time you're spending on the mainland U.S. You better, if you're mm -hmm. going to come here, you better have a lot of work lined up. Yeah, no. And, you know, that's a good point because my model is going to be very different from somebody else's who may be in a geographic area where there's a lot more access. Like, right. And here right. it was for me, I was saying, okay, I can do X number of grant writing services and that can keep me busy. But if I want to create more freedom and ability to have you know, maybe broaden the amount of clients. For yep. me, products was a way to go that quote unquote passive income or developing different things like this sure. podcast yep. that can reach out and connect me with the world, right? Where I don't have to travel. So it, it's a very different way. And I love that you're saying that, yeah, there's no right or wrong way. It's, it's really, you have to identify with who you are, what you want to do, what your goals are for your life, right? And for your finances and your time and, and figure it out from there because there's there's a lot of different models that you can go, you know, ways you can go. But before we go back into that, I just yeah, want to- Yeah, you, you, you should ask thing. some questions. Yeah, I want to ask some questions. <laughs> go ask so some questions. I love, I love the, um, what you had said about, you gave, because when you said two, I thought you were going to say two week notice, but we- Two-year notice. I have a two-year notice. Right. That's like, wow. So <laughs> I had to like repeat that. But to also say that that is so cool that you develop that. And a lot of people are starting to give more notice and, and to work with the organizations they're in. But I love that you first went to a four-day work week. So just to like say that, because the four-day work week, I know Sean Kozowski, I don't know if you know him, the nonprofit fixer. Yep. He ran, he, he ran a uh, national nonprofit and they just converted their nonprofit to a four day work week. And he's written an entire blog about that. Yeah. Amazing. And it's becoming you know, that four day work week back yep. then might not have been a po as popular, but it's definitely creating more mainstream these days to say, I love that angle. And that's totally applicable and relevant to today to think about if you're in a nonprofit and you're thinking of transitioning out, you don't have to give just the typical two weeks or 30 day notice. You could give even a six month notice and first start in four days, right? Because do they really need you for four days? Probably not. You know, I mean, for five days, you could rework some things. You're probably working more than that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even there, like yeah. you want to start putting boundaries, right? So, well, I mean, there, there's, there's a couple of points to this. Number one mm -hmm. is you have some flexibility in how you initiate your new business. Use that flexibility, right? Yeah. But the other point is how many hours do you want to work a week? And 
and this is a whole separate conversation and a separate podcast about self-care and not abusing yourself. But I will say I was doing my day job four days a week and the other three days I was trying to build a consulting practice. So, I mean, I was working six plus days per week during that time period. I mean, not hour to hour to hour, but I was trying to keep a job going while I was also building a business. This is not unusual. And I think if you want to commit to building your own business, you have to commit time probably above and beyond because... I mean, this this gets us into the conversation about billable hours. Should we go there? Yeah, let's go there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I what I wrote down in my in my notes to Holly, as I said, the myth of billable hours. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by this is I survey informally many peers who serve in consulting businesses, run their own businesses. And I, the question I always ask is how much of your time is billable and how much mm-hmm. of your time is the stuff you do to run the business? Yeah. And what most of them tell me, and I think they're being honest, is 30 to 40% of their time is billable, Mm -hmm. which means 60 to 70% isn't. Mm -hmm. And what is that 60 to 70%? It's bidding jobs that you get or you don't get. It is professional development. It is paying the bills. It is talking to the accountant to make sure your taxes are correct. Mm -hmm. Um, In some cases, it might be travel, depending if you're charging for travel or not. Um, It's, you know, for me, it's going to the mailbox and picking up, you know, the bills and paying them. It's the time you spend online, you know, chasing stuff down. It's you, you know, going on LinkedIn and seeing what other people are doing and posting for yourself, right? It's a lot Mm -hmm. of time. So the implication here is if you're only getting paid for 30 or 40% of the time you work, you better charge at a high enough rate to cover the time that nobody is paying you for. Right. And, yeah. you know, again, the fantasy is, okay, I'm going to charge $100 an hour and I'm going to work 40 hours a week and I'm going to make $4,000 a week. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. No. That ain't real. Yeah. It so, doesn't, and you can't you think know, of that going from salary to to That's it. So the the other thing about being self-employed and Holly, you know this, and not everybody does, is you're paying for everything and you're paying taxes twice because yeah. you're you know you're paying self-employment tax, which is both the employer and the employee pay or payroll to Social Security, Medicare, and so forth. Right. So you got to pay those quarterly taxes. You have to put that money aside. I I got an accountant. That was the first thing I did when I started my business. And I've had an accountant, two of them now, three of them now for whatever, 30 years. And it's worth every penny because they keep me clean on that stuff. I'm oh like, my goodness, honest, such a good thing. Like, yeah, I don't know this, so hire someone who knows it, right? Yep. You know, and that's another thing. I, I'm at the point in my business where I can outsource the stuff I don't want to do and pay other people to do it. So, right. for example, I have a MailChimp account. Mm-hmm. I've grown my my email list, so it's about 11,000 contacts all over the world. But it was just great. I mean, it took years of building it, and I continue to add names, and they then they drift away. But I don't want to learn how to manage MailChimp, so I pay somebody to do that. Right. I don't. I've got two different web. Websites. I don't want to learn how to do HTML. I pay somebody to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, there's other folks who farm out all their administrative work. I don't have enough of it that it's a burden, but for some people it is. But the point is, you don't have to master every piece of it. Right. You need to do the part you do well. And mm-hmm. when income starts coming in, one way to invest that income is hiring people so you're not doing work you don't want to do. And other people exactly. are doing work they're better qualified than you to do. Yeah. Um, so. And that accounts for that unbillable hours as well. Part of it. Part of it yeah. is money that's passing out to other people. I think that's exactly. right. That is yeah. right. Now, here's an, I don't know if you, where you are in your business. Every couple of years, I have the conversation with myself of, do I want to hire an employee? 
employee, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the growth question. How, how do you want to scale your business? Right. And I have always come to the same answer, which is I don't want to be responsible for somebody else's salary. So I have been a one person business this whole time. And again, I have mm -hmm. contractors that I pay for certain tasks yeah. and that's worked well for me. There are other yeah. people who are more ambitious or have a different kind of vision for their business where they do bring on employees. And I'm totally respectful of that. Mm -hmm. But it's, again, one of those choices you have to make as you're building the business is what's the right scale for me? How right. big do I want this to be? Are you are you a one-person shop? I am. I'm like you. I hire consultants and I hire, you know, so I'm now I'm scaling up to hiring an OBM. I have a VA, so doing more admin stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in that way, I'm scaling, but it's not necessarily like where I want them to be full-time employees and I want to manage all of that. I want yep. to, I still like working on deliverables and scope of work with the people that I work with. It just, it feels better to me. You know, even we have long-term contracts, but I'm okay with that. You know, and that feels, it feels more doable for me. Um, and it just, it feels like I can still get a lot of what I need to scale without taking on some like long-term commitments people. So that's yeah. where I well, am. Again, I mean, I, I was development director, chief fundraiser for several organizations before I started working for myself. And mm -hmm. my heat me up at night moment was if that grant doesn't come in, then it's possible my friends don't get paid. Exactly. <laughs> right? Like I'm the stress. chief rainmaker here. And if I ain't making rain, other people get laid off. And that's a lot of stress. You know, I, I I lived in what I called the fundraising ghetto, which is I raised all the money and then other people got to spend it. And mm -hmm. You know, other people were helping to raise it, but I was certainly the primary person doing that. Yeah. And so yeah. when I became my own boss, this is one of those questions again, which was, you know, maybe I was traumatized from that experience, but I, I decided I didn't want to be responsible for somebody else's salary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that became the scale that worked for me. And of course, your circumstances may be different, which is. Yeah, important. absolutely. And some people, they love it. You know, for me, I, I in the beginning, I was going to start building up more of that agency, grant writing agency. Yeah, and yeah. then I I started going, I don't like managing employees and I don't I mean, this sounds harsh. And, you know, if those of you who are listening, I apologize. As a one person business, I am accountable to me, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm not accountable to anybody other than me. I mean, I have, mm -hmm. I have, I have um, customers, I have mm -hmm. clients, right? I have to be accountable to them in the sense I'm delivering work or we're doing work together, but mm -hmm. I don't have a board of directors. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have employees. I got my own thing. And again, for me, that works well. There mm -hmm. are people who really want to work in teams all the time and want that mm -hmm. feedback and want that camaraderie and want that accountability. Yeah. And, you know, I know a number of excellent consulting firms that have three or four principals mm -hmm. who have been part of that firm. And that's their model is they have a small group of peers who love each other usually mm -hmm. and work well together. And that's a nice model too. So, yeah. you know, the, the message here is you have to sort of say, as you're building this, what structure do I want? Yeah. And Absolutely. you can be intentional about it. Yeah. And can try it out you know, sometimes. And riff, riffing, on, riffing on something you said earlier, which is the thing mm -hmm. about, well, I said, yes, I didn't know how to do it. I, I had to figure out how to do it so I could complete yeah. the job. Um, somebody said to me once, an expert is anyone who knows 5% more than the other guy. Mm -hmm. 
And I like that because it gives us permission to have this much expertise and then jump in. Yeah. So absolutely. If you and the have... time to focus on it. I think that's the most important bit is yeah. even if I don't know it, I might go take a course on it or read a book or like dedicate my time that the Talk person- to peers, right? Yeah, or maybe I, you know, maybe I pay somebody a few dollars or they just yeah. trade a favor to look over my shoulder while I'm doing the job. And I call them up and say, you know, I'm stuck with this. So this this is a good this is a good jumping off point. How you're going to build your business, how you're going to make this work is by having a peer network. And mm-hmm. the peer network does three or four things. Number 1, it's a source of jobs and clients. And I am referring work to peers all the time. They are referring work to me. I mean, when I started, I like reached out to people that I knew this much and who had established businesses and I say I'm starting my business and this is what I do and I would love it if you send me some referrals or help me think about who I should be talking to. And people are always very gracious about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that peer network generates work. And what a lot of people say is the number one way you market your business is word of mouth. It's yep. people telling other people, right? Absolutely. It's the, definitely the, the strongest. <laughs> like I think so. Version. I think so. The, the, yeah. the second reason to have a peer network, especially if you're a sole practitioner, is these are your people. Yep. If you need advice, if you need solace, if you need mm-hmm. help, if you need moral support, right? Um, if you just need somebody to vent with, it's really good to have people that you can email or call or you know chat with on social media or whatever saying, I'm having this challenge or yeah. I just had an amazing thing happen to me I wanted to share with somebody. And I think that network um, is what sustains me. Yeah, and, I love that. Yeah, and yeah. a certain amount of your, again, talk about non-billable hours. Yeah. It's the relationship work you do mm-hmm. to build that network. Um, but it's huge. Yeah. You know, and I it think, is- you know, we're, you're going to talk about the conference in a minute, but I think one of the one of the reasons to come to the conference is it's a way to find more peers, right? Yeah. You learn from experts, you go to the, you go to the webinars, you pick up cool ideas, all of which is great. But part of it's being in a circle with other people who are doing the same stuff you're doing. Yeah. And building friendships and, you know, finding peers. So I think that's huge. It's, as I say, it's the best marketing. Um, The other thing I would say, I don't know if you do this. I have found that, I mean, a big chunk of my work is, is training. I train Mm -hmm. in person. I do, I've, I've done I do a lot of webinars. Um, I'm doing hybrid now. I mean, I'm, I've been a trainer for years and years and years. Most of the clientele that wants to work with me one-on-one, they found me at a training. Mm-hmm. They yep. came to a workshop I did. They liked it. They liked me. They wanted me to come in and work with their organization. So mm-hmm. for those of you out in podcast land, um, for, my, for me anyway, is training has been the best marketing. Yeah. And even if you're not naturally extroverted, or even if you don't have training skill set yet, mm-hmm. I really encourage you to lean into that because you get most of the time you get paid to do it. And then yeah. the people that are with you physically or online or whatever, and are experiencing you and they like what you're doing, some of it, some of them are going to hire you. Yep, absolutely. Um, so you know, that's a good point because I, you know, I used to do that especially a lot and it was part of my marketing. And what I found was that because a lot of people would say, um, why are you going to do a workshop on how to write grants if you actually want to get clients? Because then they're just going to learn how to do it and they won't hire you. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> they're going to come because they think 
Yeah, they think they want to write grants, but then when they get into it, they're going to be like, she knows what she's talking about. I'm just going to hire her. That's like where I got so many clients, just like you said. You know what I mean? So like, you don't have to get outside your box or think of something that you don't know how to do just because you want them to come into your services. No, do what you do, right? Do what you do well. Talk about that. Train on that. And you will get people coming to you to do that. So if you're yeah. doing, okay, we're going to do your board training. And we're going to open this up to the public. So we have a lot of different boards here. Even though you're doing a training, they're going to hire you to do a customizable one, right? I'm sure that's what happened to you. And that's often true. Like I'm doing a community board training about, you know, how to teach boards, how to raise money. And then they want me to come directly and work with their board, right? Now, this is in part a failure on, on my part, because I want them to learn enough to go home and do it themselves. Mm -hmm. That's optimal. Mm -hmm. We don't always get to optimal, right? And I'm grateful (laughs) for the work, but... I mean, I'm trying to work myself out of a job. I, I would mm-hmm. love to live in a universe where all nonprofits are high functioning and they don't need to hire you or me because mm-hmm. they're figuring it out on their own. But, you know, we're trying to create that world. Um, yeah, I mean, here's a creepy story, a quick creepy story. I went to a conference once and they were advertising a breakout or, you know, a seminar or whatever at the conference called Increasing Client Dependency. <laughs> and I thought, yuck. That is Yucky. It's you gross, right? Codependent clients. Oh <laughs> right. my gosh. Like, like trying to create a relationship with a hot client where they keep hiring and they can't get rid of you because they need you desperately, mm-hmm. right? That is codependence, right? You just named that it. Is. Um, that's wrong. Yeah. My job, and you again, people have to figure this out for themselves. My job is to make myself irrelevant, to, yeah. to engage with a client, help them build their skill set so they don't need me anymore. And so this is this is abundance mentality. And I think part of what you have to bring to this, and any fundraisers out there understand this, but what you have to bring to this is the idea that there's plenty of work and there yeah. are plenty of clients and there's plenty of opportunities. Holly and I are not competing for the same clients. <laughs> there's so much work. It's a massive yeah. industry. There's there's one and a half million nonprofit organizations in the United States, right? And not that many nonprofit consultants. Well, you know, there's a lot of consultants, but there's there's more than enough clients for all of us, right? Exactly. So, you know, this may be... Like some people only need three or four clients to make it a full... Depending on how your business is built, it could be plenty. Yeah. That is correct, right? Yeah. Yeah, So I, I think it's one of the reasons I'm happy to refer out work and have people refer work to me, et cetera, is that there's just a lot of work out there. And so, you know, you have to find it, you have to hustle, Um, you have to market yourself intelligently, you have Mm -hmm. to deliver excellent services, you have to be really good at what you do. But I think, you know, I'm I'm always encouraging for people who want to consider this. And as we talked about already, you can do it gradually, right? You can put your Mm -hmm. toes in the water, do a few jobs, do a few other jobs, see how you like it, see if it leads to other work. Um, Mm -hmm. If you like a steady paycheck, maybe this isn't for you. You know, if you like someone else to pay for your health care, maybe this isn't for you. But I think if you if you want the the freedom and the adventure and you know the if you're self propelled enough to do this, it's totally doable. Yeah, if you want to really learn about yourself, it's <laughs> a good point. It is an education in, in self. I think that's well said. It is. Um, I, I know you. I know you're on a time limit on these. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Well, yeah, I think I just wanted to kind of touch on. You know what I really loved on this was um, when you talked about the networking and peer like referrals. And just to 
kind of hammer that in a little bit more because I find that I know we were talking about this in the green room before we started, but like a lot of people that come to me that are starting their business or wanting to grow it, the first thing they kind of think about is, especially those who are starting, I've got to be on LinkedIn, Pinterest, YouTube, blah, 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 like all of the things. TikTok, and Instagram, Facebook, yeah, yeah, all of it. Yeah, yeah. Like all of it. And yeah. that's where I can get clients is being online because there's so many people online. Well, the thing is, is just like you said, it's those relationships that you build and it's the people that know you. So uh, one of my coaches, she, you know, said it's the no like trust factor. If you have those three things, you can convert, you can get clients, right? Do mm. they know you? If they like mm-hmm. you, if they trust you. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can build that online, but it takes time. It takes multiple touches. It takes a lot of investment in marketing, but the easiest way is, Hey, if, you know, all of a sudden, if, you know, Andy, if his sister all of a sudden knew a nonprofit, she's going to recommend Andy, her brother, you know what I mean? And, and she, that's actually a true story that has actually, <laughs> that has actually happened. Um, yeah. <laughs> But it turns out my sister likes me, so that helps. Um, exactly, that helps. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, my, yeah, I think what you said is true. And, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll do full disclosure here. I'm full up boomer, right? I'm 66 years old. I am not a digital native. I am engaged with technology only the degree that I have to. I tend to be a late adopter. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how I'm wired, right? Um, I'm semi-active in LinkedIn. That's it, you know? Yeah. I got a pretty big e-list, right? I've been building that. Um, And, you know, I have other avenues through which I communicate with people, Mm -hmm. but um, I don't, I, you know, I I find a lot of social media boring and, Mm -hmm. you know, again, no critique. If it's important to you, it's important to you. And I respect that, um, whoever you are out there listening. Um, but as a as a marketing and client development strategy, what you just said, Holly, is correct. It is the long way around. You can it's get there. You, you can, can get, get there. there, but it is the long way around. And you're going to spend yeah. hours and months and years yeah. building those channels before they start yielding work. Yeah. And if that's what you want to do, like make space and time for that, but don't neglect the lower hanging fruit right? Those referrals, like even in our mentorship program and our freelance programs, as soon as we have nonprofit consult or grant writing consultants that come in there, they start referring each other work immediately. They're like, I just got too many clients. Can you take some or this and that? You're better at, you're better at this than I am, right? Yeah. (laughs) I got a call for conflict resolution. I don't really do that well, but I bet you do it well. Right. And you know, you just trade off stuff that somebody else can do better than you. Yeah. You're like, Hey, board training I don't I'm staying in this niche I'm writing DOE grants you want to take this client you know what I mean like it's so nice to have those those networking that those partners it's mutual um, mutual. it's lovely it's it's beneficial for everybody um so let me throw out two ideas for finding clients that we don't talk about enough because they've worked both for me Mm -hmm. um I am in relationship with many um statewide nonprofit associations and most mm-hmm. states across the U.S., and this is also true in Canada, have nonprofit associations that serve their particular state or province. Many of them put on programs. Many of them do seminars, conferences, workshops, all of it. And you can contact, you can cold call them or cold email them and say, I'm here. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, these are my credentials. And if you're ever doing conferences or webinars or you need somebody to present on this subject, I'm available. Mm-hmm. So that's one. The second avenue that I've used for years, though less likely, is making friends with foundations because charitable foundations 
often want their grantees to be better at organizing or board development or program development or evaluation or fundraising yeah. or whatever, right? And so for years, again, less true now than it used to be, but I think it's true for a lot of folks is often it's a third party funder. Mm-hmm. Like somebody will write a grant to hire me to come in and do my consulting work with them. And yeah. sometimes the referral comes from the foundation. Mm-hmm. Well, they say, you know, they know the, they know the grantee well enough to say, you need help with X, you should go talk to Andy and we'll yeah. pay for it. Um, so making friends in the funding world as a consultant is super helpful because they can give you not only good referrals, but sometimes they'll actually pay you to do the work. Um, Mm -hmm. and in, in many cases, the payment runs through the grantee, the grantee gets the grant in order to hire you to do the work that you're doing with them. So, um, those are two avenues that have been really solid for me in terms of, uh, finding work and finding clients. I love that. And thank you so much for saying that because that's how I've gotten a lot of my work too, especially the number one. And to even go a little deeper into that, that kind of merges one and two is not just nonprofit associations, but chambers of commerce. So yeah, lots of chambers of commerce because a lot of their, um, think about it, a lot of their members also serve on boards. Yeah. So they serve on those funders or they have those foundations or whatnot. So it kind of crosses the two. That's interesting. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, there's, there's, there's other, I mean, you know, we have a, we have a business network here in Vermont called Vermont businesses for social responsibility, which is what it sounds like. It's the progressive end of the business world. Mm -hmm. And probably 25% of their members are nonprofit organizations. And as you have suggested, a number of the for-profit people whose day jobs are working corporations serve on boards or volunteers with a variety of nonprofits. Right. So I have been semi-active in VBSR for years and, you know, occasionally I'll go to the conference or I might present. um, Mm -hmm. And that's always been a good network for me. Yeah. So, you know, you want to sort of think upstream, which is where are the people who need to know me? Where are they gathering? Who do they hang out with? Um, And even going back to your example then of like, you know, this whole thing of social media, right? And that's what I say is like, well, where are the nonprofits who would hire you hanging out? Because yeah, right. you just want, you know, like you got to think about that because really all of a sudden are you just connecting with grant writers out there? Like that might work for some referrals, but they're not really your target demographic for your services, right? So it's like, also, where are they? Are they making decisions on social media to hire people even? You know what I mean? Like, where are they making those decisions? <laughs> they're making question. them more, yeah, yeah, like where you said, they're going to those workshops. They're actually putting a little money up front to learn something that you're going to do. That's where you're really going to get them to hire you. They're going to go to those conferences. They're going to go, you know, so where are they hanging out and making decisions, right? Not just where they're spending their free time, but yep. where they are trying to market their nonprofit donors, right? but where, right. where are they making decisions? So absolutely so love that. Mm-hmm. I, I wanna I wanna throw out a quote from a friend of mine. I have a colleague named Sharon Bihar who I who I love. And and Sharon says the consultant should never work harder than the client. And I mean, we don't talk, we again, we there's a, a strong tendency to do their work for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this may just be because you're one of those people who likes to please people, or it may just be that if the client drops the ball, you're afraid it's going to look bad on you. And, you know, you want to protect your brand or your reputation or whatever. I, again, I think at the end of the day, our job 
as I, I think for most of us as consultants, not all of us, but I feel like our job is to develop client capacity so they know mm -hmm. how to do stuff themselves. And yeah. if that's the case, then they have to try stuff. They have to fail. They have to drop the ball sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's like part one of this conversation. Part two is, you know, I do a lot of workshops. We get evaluations and, you know, mm -hmm. maybe 20 people are in the workshop and uh, 19 of them will say, Andy was awesome. That was great. And one of them says, you know, I was really disappointed. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a tendency for most of us to, to really fixate on the one person who wasn't happy mm -hmm. as opposed to the 19 people who thought it was awesome. I mean, we, we tend to absorb criticism differently than we absorb praise. Yeah. And so the message here is you can't make everybody happy. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it is entirely possible as a consultant, as a facilitator, as a trainer, that you do your work really well and the client drops the ball. Yep. Or you take them as far as you can take them and they're not willing to go any further. Mm -hmm. That is not on you. That is on them. And we sort of have to understand where our work ends and their work begins. And it's going to be different with every client. It's going to be different with many jobs. Mm -hmm. But sort of figuring out as part of the contracting and the discovery process at the beginning, this is what I do. This is what y'all do. Here's mm -hmm. the line. I'm going to do all my stuff. You're going to do your stuff. Yeah. And I think like building in not only your deliverables, but the client deliverables when you're doing contracts, yeah. that's super helpful. Oh my gosh. Um, that's so and helpful. We, again, <laughs> it's not something, there's a tendency to write the, write the bid that says, here's what I'm going to do, right? And here are my deliverables, which is terrific. But then what's the other side of that equation? Like, what do you need from the client to do what you're going to do? Yeah. And what is expected of the client after your work is done? That's so good. And if you can get that in the contract, kaboom, right? Yeah. Because then we're doing this mutual thing where you you have responsibilities and so do I and vice versa. Yeah. And most, a lot of consultants, especially when they're starting, they don't even think about that. So it's definitely something I promote as well. Like, okay, we need to build expectations on both sides, even from the beginning. Like if you're going to do a discovery call, you need to have questions. It's not just booking your time, right? You need to have questions. You, you got, you got, I mean, you, they're not only interviewing you, you're interviewing them, right? Exactly. Do I want to work with these people. Are they organized? Right. Are they kind? Are they yeah. prepared to do the work that we're proposing to do together, right? Yeah. Do they have the bandwidth, right? Yeah. And so, if like, you if you have some questions and put yeah. some boundaries in place from the beginning, you're going to know yes. that you're going to show up to those meetings with not just your gut feeling, but data behind you to say, is this going to be a good fit? So you do want to go into that thinking, oh, we're going to hire me. It's not just that you're thinking, am I going to hire them? <laughs> so I love. Do I want to work with these people, right? Yeah. And you yeah. know that that's the other thing that happens if you're in the business for a while. You develop a pretty good BS detector, and you yeah. can smell clients who are going to be problems pretty far off. Yeah. And you yeah. know maybe you're maybe you're needy enough of the work that you decide you're going to take them on as a difficult client because you need to get paid. And I get that. Yeah. But at some point, that gonna, at some point, <laughs> at some point, you're going to reach the point where you're like, I don't need this anymore. Yeah. Right? I want to yeah. work with people who are organized. Right? I want to work with the people who follow through. I want to people who work with people who treat me with respect. Um, mm -hmm. I want to work with people who treat themselves with respect. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that I think that discovery process at the beginning is huge. So, thank you for yeah. saying that. And and to your and to your point too, it's 
you know, you need to know, like, if you don't put those things about what your expectations are of the client, yes. it's on you too. Yes. You can't just be like, you yes. know, oh, this client, because you're kind of feeding into it and they don't know. They don't know how you work or whatever, you know what I mean? So they don't know what those expectations are. So you do need to draw that, you know, kind of like, if you're going to complain, you got to like figure transparency, it out, right? transparency, yeah. transparency, man. You just got to be clear about what the expectations are in both directions. Exactly. Because otherwise you are going to be doing even more of those unbillable hours or you're going to, you know, all that crazy stuff, you know, just, yeah, it's all over the place. And yeah. you're going to be like, this is not an ideal client, but what part did you have in making that so? So we do need to take some responsibility and create and learn how Thank to you. create that. Maybe you've done this is the first time you're hearing of that. And you're like, oh, that's what it is. Guys, you need to create some expectations. I didn't set clear boundaries. That's on yeah. me. Yeah. And that's something you can still do even within a contract, right? So even if you're stuck in that place now where you're like, I have this client, I haven't set clear boundaries and now I'm doing all of these things and I don't want to do that. You can still set those boundaries. You can at this point, you know, create some things and say here, you know, let's like relook at our contract and see who's responsible for what. You can bring that to the table and do that. Yeah. So this is where you move your head so the crown is directly over your head. Go yeah, ahead and do that. Yeah. Now I want you to wear, that's perfect. I want you to wear that crown when you're talking to clients on the discovery call, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Look at who you're talking to, people. Right. You don't mess with the queen. I got my boundaries. You've got yours. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I mean, I gotta say, I mean, this is maybe obvious, but desperation does not work in your personal life and it doesn't work in your professional life either. And if you'll take anyone who says, yes, I want to work with you, um, you're going to find yourself in some awkward and difficult and problematic situations. So, yeah, I mean, we have to have we have to sort of set standards in terms of who we want to work with. And it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. And I think what helps, though, with that, what helps people feel like more empowered to do that and get away from the desperation, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation today. Yes. And yes. that is like setting up your transition into consultancy. And a lot of you might've just been laid off from a job and you're jumping in and you don't have the time to set that up, that transition, that's okay. Like I hear you and I get that. But if you do have the ability to transition and put some monies aside for saving to really yeah. understand how to build a business, it's going to be a little bit easier. And not everybody has that benefit. I will say that, but if you do, you know, those are some things definitely to think about that will help you not from being so feeling so desperate, right? Not being, but feeling so desperate. So yeah, Good. that can be Good. helpful. That's right. But thank yeah, this has been awesome, Andy. I this is such a great, um, great conversation. I know I've gotten a lot out of it. It's been so fun to talk to you and just bringing in all of this again, like billable hours, how to network, how to get your first client, setting up models. Like I know so many people are going to get so much out of this. So where people want to know more about you, want to uh, sure. get on that email list that you said you have and hear more Massive about what email you list. Where um, people I, find you? Yeah, I have two websites and you, if you do show notes, you can put them in there. Um, it's okay. andyrobinsononline.com, mm -hmm. which is one of my websites. And then I did a book many years ago that you mentioned called Train Your Board and Everyone Else to Raise Money. And that became a website, which became a blog, which became a training series and a video series. And if you go to trainyourboard.com, you'll find a lot of stuff there, including some free training exercises that people use to train each other how to raise money. Um, so those are the two best places to find me. And there's contact info on both of them. 
And, um, you know, you can, I've, I'm the author as noted of many books and people are free to look for my books and purchase some of their of value. So mm -hmm. thank you for having me, Holly. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for coming on. We'll definitely have to have you back on. And it was just great seeing you. It's been almost a year now. So it's been great seeing you again. And I'm sure we'll see you again in the future. So thank you for your time and sharing all your wisdom. And, um, welcome. Also, and congratulations you know, on your retirement. You're going into semi-retirement. So I love this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's I if you want to have me back at some point, we'll see if you know you reach that stage in your life. But yeah, I'm I'm navigating retirement in in little stages. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. So that's been kind interesting. Like your program <laughs> sort of kind of yeah. yeah it's yeah. not different and um i'll put in a plug for the conference i got to work the conference last year with holly and mandy and their colleague mazarin and mm -hmm. it was lovely it was provocative interesting creative i've heard from a lot of people who showed up who were like that blew my mind so i'm excited you're doing it again and i encourage people to um take a look and perhaps sign up and join you Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back at the conference as well um, sometime. So I know it's just been such a great, great um, thing that we've been doing. And thank you for being a part of that. And thank you for talking about it. So yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Mm -hmm. Pleasure talking with you. Be well. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode with Andy Robinson. Once again, for some of the freebies he's going to dish out to you guys, and for all of the links to find out about the Nonprofit Consulting Conference and the waitlist to our mentorship, please go over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 284. And a big shout out to our this week's podcast episode sponsor, and that's GEMS, Grant Easy Management Software. So if you are looking for a streamlined, beautiful platform to manage all of your grants, to track your time while you're writing grants and just to be able to create reports, to get reminders when grant deadlines are coming up and all of the things that you need to be a successful grant writer, definitely join Rachel and her team for a free demo for GEMS software. You can grab that free demo by jumping over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash G-E-M-S. That's GEMS. All right. Thanks again, GEMS, for sponsoring today's episode. And if you guys love the Grant Writing and Funding podcast, all of the resources that we provide here, please do me a favor, jump over to iTunes or your podcast player and leave a review and rating as that does help other people find the podcast. All right. And I love reading those reviews. All right. So I will see you guys soon, hopefully at the nonprofit consulting conference, where we are going to help you start or grow your nonprofit consultancy. All right. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.